essentially welcome you to um, core, volunteer, core volunteer training this evening. Core volunteer training is a program of Citizens Climate Lobby and Citizens Climate Education um, designed to support new and newer volunteers as well as our emerging group leaders to help them achieve their larger goals for climate advocacy and provide them with a foundation of training and education around climate action. My name is Tamara Staten. I have the honor of being your host this evening. I am CCL's Education and Resilience Coordinator, and I'm very happy that you are here with us this evening. I am going to introduce our speaker this evening. Dan Nucitelli is our Research Coordinator for Citizens Climate Lobby. He has a BA in Astrophysics from UC Berkeley from back in 2003. That's 20 years later, Dana, we're working on here. Um, Master's of Science in Physics from UC Davis in 2005, a few years later. He is an environmental scientist. He's a climate journalist for skepticalscience.com since 2010, as well as for The Guardian, Yale Climate Communications, and he is an NCSE 2016 Friends of the Earth Award winner. He's written, um, he's an author of 10 peer-reviewed climate science papers, and he's also the author of Climatology versus Pseudoscience. So I am going to um, just share with you very briefly our agenda for this evening, and then I'm going to pass it to you um, while Dana takes us through a little bit of a whack-a-mole before diving into his content, which I'm super excited about. So first, we're going to address CCL's policy agenda as an overview, um, and then we will go into the specifics of carbon pricing, permitting reform, building electrification and efficiency, and healthy forests that you have on the topic. So with that, Dana. Take it away. Okay, thanks Tamara and hi everybody. Thanks for being here. Uh, I always get excited talking about CCL's policy agenda because this is why I joined CCL because back in the day I was always doing a lot of uh, myth debunking and that uh, reminded me a lot of playing whack-a-mole because you know, You'll get people repeating the same myths over and over and you're always having to whack them and they keep popping up. So, you know, some prominent individual will say, you know, global warming is not happening and I have to get on the blog and write about, here's how we know global warming is happening. And then, you know, a few days later, some other prominent person will say, you know, it's happening, but global warming is being caused by galactic cosmic rays. And I have to get on the blog and write about galactic cosmic rays, which are very, very cool, but they are not responsible for global warming. And then, you know, somebody would go on the Senate floor and bring a snowball out, and then I'd have to stay up all night writing an article about how winter is still a thing, despite global warming. And, you know, it's, it's you know, the moles, they just keep popping up, and you keep whacking them, and you keep they popping up, and it's very frustrating because you're not really making any progress. And so I wanted to work with an organization that was actually working on concrete, specific, effective climate solutions and that's what CCL's policy agenda is all about, making some progress on some real solutions. So let's talk about those. Our central policy has always been carbon pricing that remains centrally important to CCL's agenda. So we advocate for a carbon fee and dividend policy with a carbon border adjustment mechanism to lower emissions and deliver abundant and affordable clean energy to Americans. That's our carbon pricing agenda item in a nutshell. 
Uh, for more information, you can go to our great training page, cclusa.org slash carbon-pricing-training. And so why carbon pricing is so important. Um, so it really gets right to the root cause of the problem, the carbon pollution, putting a price on it can therefore impact every sector of the economy that is causing the carbon pollution that's causing the problem. And we want uh, corporate polluters to have to pay a fee for the carbon pollution that will result from burning the fossil fuels that they sell, the polluters pay principle. Uh, we think that's very important. And a carbon price has the potential to create the largest emissions reductions of any single climate policy. Um, there is no silver bullets, but like if you were gonna choose just one climate policy, you would choose carbon pricing because that is the single most effective policy. And then we've got our carbon dividend, our carbon cashback. Um, those are important. They are enough to essentially cover the increased costs from a carbon price for 85% of American households, including 95% of the least wealthy, 60% of Americans. So basically lower and middle income households do very well with a carbon cashback policy. Uh, and there are other benefits as well. Uh, there was research last year that showed a revenue neutral carbon fee and dividend policy would both reduce income inequality and uh, reduce poverty by raising 1.6 million Americans above the poverty line because the carbon cashback would be larger than their increased costs for lower income households, thereby uh, basically giving people in the lower incomes a net income and thereby reducing poverty. So it's a really great policy for a lot of different reasons. And then we've got the carbon border adjustment mechanism. Um, so it's a benefit that we have in the United States is that a lot of our manufacturing is already very clean, very low carbon. And so the idea is that when a you know, company from abroad imports a hard, high carbon product across our border, we want them to have to pay for that extra carbon content that is in their high carbon content material. For example, if they have some high carbon steel coming from China and we have low carbon steel in the United States, we want them to have to pay for that extra carbon content as their product comes across our border. So that levels the playing field uh, for American businesses that have already taken steps to clean out their operation, lower the carbon content of their materials. And so they're not at an economic disadvantage to foreign competitors who have not reduced the carbon content of their materials. And so the idea is that while we work to reduce our carbon and other pollution in the United States, we don't want other countries who aren't doing the same thing to get a free ride. And then that gives other countries an incentive to also reduce their carbon emissions so that they're not having to pay this carbon border adjustment when they export to the United States. And so then you're encouraging every country to reduce their emissions. It's a great thing, everybody reducing emissions. And we're still hoping to solve the climate crisis that way. So I'm going to take a little trivia break. Uh, so we got a trivia question for you guys to think about. Uh, which country had the world's highest carbon price as of April 2022 at $137 per ton of carbon dioxide? Was it A, Sweden, B, Uruguay, C, Canada, D, Liechtenstein, or E, Carbon Taxistan? Um, so maybe you can, if you want to, you can put your guesses into the chat. And we should have some like... Uh, some Jeopardy music here. Do, 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 do. 
Oh. Wow, there are a lot of Bs. That's good because that's a tough, tough question. The answer is B. It is, which was a surprise to me, Uruguay. Um, Sweden and Liechtenstein are very close behind at $130 per ton. Uh, Canada has currently got a carbon price of $50 per ton, although they are going to raise that price very quickly. It's going to get to $170 per ton in Canada in 2030, but right now it's $50. And of course, unfortunately, carbon taxistan is not a real country. So that's a point then... for creativity on that one. <laughs> Love that. That's a good that would be a good country name. But if you got if you guess B, then you're really on the ball because that's a tough question. Okay, moving on to our second agenda item, which is clean energy permitting reform. Very important because it's time to build America's clean energy economy. Permitting reform will make that possible by unlocking clean energy infrastructure that's waiting to be built and by getting that clean energy to American households and businesses. So again, we've got some training pages, uh, cclusa.org slash permitting dash training for the introductory version and for the advanced version, just add a dash advanced to the end of that to go to those great um, training pages that we on the research team put together. So the key point when it comes to clean energy permitting reform is that if we don't start building our clean energy infrastructure faster, we're only going to achieve about 20% of the potential carbon pollution reduction from climate policy that's already in place, which is primarily the Inflation Reduction Act that was passed toward the end of 2022. That is according to an analysis by the modelers at the Princeton Repeat Project. So uh, before we get into the details, let's do a little bit of basics. What even is permitting? So a permit is basically the green lights and author an authorization from the government to begin a construction project. It can be from a local government and or a state government and or the federal government, depending on where the project is located, who owns the property and how big it is. So you could potentially need several different permits. Um, permits are very important because they protect communities and workers and environments from undue harm from the construction of the project or what the project will end up doing once it is completed. So they are definitely a very important thing to do to uh, provide those protections. But of course, the more permitting you do, uh, the more time and expense you're adding to whatever kind of project you're doing. And so you have to kind of find this balance where you're doing sufficiently thorough permitting to make sure you're having these protections for communities and workers in the environments, while also not excessively delaying these clean energy projects that we need to deploy really quickly in order to get our emissions down. So it's a really tricky balancing act there. Uh, the concern is that right now we're kind of erring on the side of doing things too slowly. Uh, we're only expanding our electric transmission infrastructure, for example, at 1% per year right now, uh, which is like less than half of the speed we need to in order to uh, get our uh, clean energy infrastructure deployed. So we need to speed that up. One challenge is that in order to get to net zero emissions, by 2050, we need to triple our capacity to transmit clean electricity over the next 25 years or so. So that's a whole lot of clean electricity transmission that we need to build pretty fast. 
And the challenge is that right now, transmission line projects are going very slowly. They're taking on average about a decade to complete a single transmission line project. And so we've also got our Paris target to cut our emissions 50% by 2030. 2030 is now seven years away. Transmission lines take 10 years to get built. You can see there's kind of a mismatch there. We need to speed up the transmission line build out process if we're going to meet our 2030 Paris targets. So the good news is that we're expecting solar and wind projects to really explode thanks to the tax credits that were passed in the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, so for perspective, right now we've got 230 gigawatts of wind and solar energy in the United States. And we are expecting to add, uh, assuming that clean energy permitting doesn't get in the way, uh, 740 gigawatts by 2030, thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act tax credits. And so to put that in perspective, if you think of like all of the solar panels and wind turbines that are currently in the United States that have been built over the past 20 years or so, triple that. And we're expecting to build that within the next seven years. It's kind of a, a mind blowing amount of wind and solar energy that we're trying to deploy over just the next few years. The challenge is that big wind and solar farms tend to be located away from households. They tend to be out in rural areas uh, where there's available land, relatively cheap land, and so you can get a big tract of land and put a whole bunch of wind turbines and solar panels out there. But uh, where we need most of that clean electricity is in big population centers in cities that are often along the coasts, whereas a lot of our wind is in the middle of the country. And so the challenges you need once you build one of these big wind and solar farms you need to transport that electricity from the farm to the population center. And so you need to build a transmission line. But transmission lines are being built very, very slowly. And so that's kind of our bottleneck problem that we're trying to solve with clean energy permitting reform. Um, it is actually also a very important problem to solve for environmental justice um, because air pollution right now causes about 250,000 deaths per year in the United States. That is especially concentrated in disadvantaged communities located near big sources of pollution like coal power plants. And so if we are too slow in the permitting process to build these solar and wind farms and connect them to cities with transmission lines, then we have to keep burning that coal. And if we continue burning the coal longer and longer, that results in these in thousands of needless premature deaths in these communities that are located near the coal power plants, breathing all this dirty air pollution from the coal power, uh, from the coal being burned. And so that's a real problem if we're not quick enough to build this new clean energy infrastructure. The good news is that the vast majority of what we are trying to build in terms of America's uh, energy infrastructure right now is clean energy. 93% of the proposed electricity capacity that is proposed to be built right now is wind and solar and just a little bit of natural gas. Uh, another bit of good news is that global fossil fuel demand is expected to peak by 2025. It might peak this year. It's gonna peak very, very soon as everybody is transitioning towards clean energy at this point. And so all of the, the, the demand and all of what we are trying to build basically is clean energy. And so what that generally means is that if we can just in general make the permitting process happen faster, that will mostly benefit clean energy because that's what the demand is for. That's what everybody's trying to build. That's what everybody wants. And so, yeah, the challenge is getting what everybody wants built fast enough to replace the existing fossil fuels.
Uh, and to illustrate that first point about the coal communities or communities located near coal power plants, this is a chart uh, adapted from a report by that same Princeton Repeat uh, Energy Modeling Group, where they were looking at different scenarios, the amount of coal consumption that the United States will have in 2030 in these different scenarios, uh, depending on how quickly we build out our transmission infrastructure. So this red one on the left was how much uh, coal we were expected to burn before we passed the Inflation Reduction Act in 2030. And then the gray one is how much coal we are expected to build after we pass the Inflation Reduction Act if we continue with our current uh, electric transmission build-out rate of 1% per year. And you see the amount of coal burned actually goes up in that scenario. That's because the Inflation Reduction Act also has all these uh, incentives for people to electrify their homes, uh, get electric cars, get electric heat pumps, electric stoves. And so people are, if people are getting all these new electric technologies, they're drawing more from the electric grid. And if we're not connecting all this new wind and solar to, solar to the grid with enough transmission lines, then that increased electricity demand gets met by fossil fuels, it gets met by coal and natural gas. And so you end up burning more coal in that scenario than if you hadn't even passed the Inflation Reduction Act. And so that is kind of a really bad uh, unintended consequence. And so that's why it's really important. You can see these three bars on the right are if we accelerate our uh, rate of electric transmission infrastructure build out, then we're getting all these new wind farms and solar farms built and connected to the grid. And so then we can uh, take these coal power plants out of commission and coal emissions go down. We're burning less coal in 2030 and then people are breathing cleaner air and it's better for people's health particularly in these communities that are stuck located near coal power plants. And so, again, this is why it's really important just from a uh, fairness and environmental justice perspective to get clean energy transmission reform accomplished. So how do we do that? There's a few different approaches. Uh, some of them we've already accomplished a little bit uh, in the bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed at the end of 2021 and the Inflation Reduction Act that passed toward the end of 2022. We had some law changes. We had some funding for federal agencies that do these environmental reviews uh, as part of the permitting process. So those things will make some difference and make the process, the permitting process happen, we think, a little bit faster. Uh, there is also FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC-alicious FERC. Uh, they are doing various rulemakings that they're basically trying to open up these bottlenecks uh, and make the permitting process happen a little bit faster from their end. And then there is the stuff that Congress can do. Uh, that's where we come in. That is our uh, our permitting reform uh, packages that the members of Congress are going to work on, try to figure out what can get sufficient votes from both parties to pass through Congress, uh, given the constraints in Congress, like the Senate filibuster and whatnot. And so once they propose something, then we'll look at it, see if we can support it, and then potentially uh, go forth and try to make sure it gets passed. So that's our role in this process. So what we support are uh, permitting reform policies that add to America's capacity to transmit clean electricity. That is very important, as we discussed. That uh, speed up the approval of clean energy projects that are waiting to be built, trying to open up those bottlenecks. And it's also important that we preserve communities' ability to make their voices heard on the environmental and other impacts of proposed energy projects. We want to make sure that the permitting process is still doing its job in protecting communities and people's health.
Okay, so our third policy area we're gonna talk about is building electrification and efficiency. So by upgrading our homes and buildings to electric and making them more energy efficient, we can save money and eliminate a major source of carbon and indoor air pollution. Uh, again, we got some training pages, cclusa.org slash building dash electrification dash training and building dash electrification dash advanced. So check those out. And a really important tool here is uh, Rewiring America has created an IRA savings calculator. Uh, we have a short URL here at the top, cclusa.org slash IRA-calc. And basically you go here, you put in some information, your zip code, your homeowner status, your household income, your tax filing status, and your household size. Push the calculate button and it will tell you which of the incentives you qualify for, uh, what kind of, kind of an incentive they are, if it's a tax credit or an upfront discount, how large that incentive is, and when it will come into effect. So basically that gives you all the information you need to know about what, uh, which of these incentives you can take advantage of. And so a great uh, aspect of the Inflation Reduction Act is that it basically creates, we're calling it like an electric bank account for every household. Uh, plus there's also tax credits for every household to take advantage of. And uh, those uh, rebates, once they become available, will cover 100% of the costs of these electric upgrades for low-income households and 50% of those upgrades costs for middle-income households. And so to figure out if you're lower or middle income, you can use this calculator. It will tell you exactly what you qualify for. So it is a super, super useful tool. So specifically, uh, this chart kind of gets to what we are trying to tackle. It illustrates uh, the different types of appliances and households, how much energy they use is the size of the bar. And then uh, the dark blue is electricity, which is kind of what we're trying to get everything to use electricity. And then all the other colors are fossil fuels. And you can see most of it is light blue, which is natural gas. And you can see the biggest bars are space heating and water heating. So those, and those are also the biggest light blue bars. And so there's a lot of space heating and water heating that uses a lot of natural gas, especially in homes. And so those are kind of the lowest hanging fruit that we can tackle to reduce, uh, to do building electrification uh, and efficiency. So the good news there is that we have one technology available that can tackle both of those. It's called a heat pump and heat pumps are awesome. They use electricity. They basically move heat from one place to another using a fan and a compressor, and they just move heat around. And so uh, the great thing is that one heat pump can do dual purposes. It can both heat and cool uh, buildings by moving the air in one the hot air in one direction or the other. So you don't need a separate air conditioner and a furnace. A heat pump can do both things with one unit. They are also super energy efficient, three to five times more efficient than most current fossil fuel heating systems because it's easier to just move heat around than it is to burn stuff to generate it. When you're burning stuff to generate heat, it's a very inefficient process. You lose a lot of that heat to the surrounding air and, and just, just, it just gets lost instead of being used for the purpose that it's intended for. So using heat pumps is much, much more efficient. And because heat pumps are so efficient, they both save energy and they reduce emissions. Even with today's electric grid, people often worry like, what if my electricity, some of it's coming from coal, am I, you know, am I getting an improvement by electrifying my appliances? And the answer here is yes, because heat pumps are so super efficient, 
even if you don't have the cleanest electric grid uh, coming to your house, you're still going to save energy and reduce emissions by switching to a heat pump. And we know that over time, the US electric grid is just gonna get cleaner and cleaner and cleaner, whereas fossil fuels, they never get cleaner. And then building weatherization is another great solution, uh, saves both energy and money as well. Uh, up to 20% of the money spent on home energy by an average American is wasted because of air basically leaking out of buildings uh, through cracks and whatnot. And so the way you solve that is by weatherizing your homes, uh, doing things like improving insulation, getting better windows, sealing cracks. Uh, so basically you just get more of the air trapped in your home. And that then reduces energy waste because less of the warm or cool air is escaping your home. And so that then makes you more energy efficient and reduces your energy bills. It's especially true for low-income households that spend a larger proportion of their income on energy bills. So they can save up to 35% on their energy bills through weatherization projects. So it's particularly good for low-income households. And then we got gas stoves, which have been a hot topic, pardon the pun, in uh, recent um, weeks. So 35% of American homes currently use gas stoves. Uh, that's especially true in certain states like California, where I live. Most homes have gas stoves, uh, Illinois, New York, states like that. So there's a lot of variability by states. But on average, 35% of American homes use gas stoves. And there was just a study published finding that those stoves are responsible for about 13% of asthma cases uh, in American kids. And again, in those states like California, where we have lots of gas stoves, it's even higher. So 20% of asthma cases in California have been attributed to gas stoves. Um, so that is a good thing to replace for not just the climate, but also for your health. Because burning fossil fuels indoors, especially like when you're standing right over the flame, it's generally not good for your health. Uh, overall, those are kind of our IR Inflation Reduction Act home upgrade opportunities uh, in terms of home electrification and efficiency. So I'm going to invite you to think about which of these solutions you've implemented and which of them you are excited to make for your home in the future. Uh, maybe take a little bit of time to type into the chat what you've done so far and what you are interested in doing. Uh, space heaters, water heaters, upgrading to heat pumps, induction stoves, or standard electric stoves, home weatherization, solar panels, and battery storage, and electric cars. Uh, so what are you what are you pumped about? What are you excited about? So let's move to our last but not least uh, policy area that is healthy forests. So to solve climate change, we need America's forests to pull carbon out of the air. We support preserving and expanding forests, climate smart forestry, and advocating for increasing urban forests with a focus on neighborhoods that are negatively impacted by a lack of tree equity. Again, we've got some great training pages, cclusa.org forest-training and dash advanced for the advanced version of that training page. Uh, this is the one that I worked on the most, so it's a really good page. So healthy forests, they have the potential to achieve significant carbon reductions. You plant trees, they pull carbon out of the air, it's a great solution. They can address both mitigation and adaptation. Uh, mitigation meaning that they're pulling that carbon out of the atmosphere, so they're helping mitigate the problem, uh, taking the carbon out of the atmosphere, and adaptation because they do things like providing shade. So if you have increasing uh, extreme heat waves, then you can 
hang out where the trees are because you have more trees available and they provide that adaptation, that cooling uh, benefit for you. So there are lots of these potential co-benefits uh, like this uh, shade and cooling that they provide, uh, lots of different benefits from trees. And uh, there are lots of potential coalition partners because there are a lot of different groups uh, working in this space of, of urban forests and trees. Um, so lots of potential to work with other groups. And there's also bipartisan support uh, because whatever your political affiliation, pretty much everybody loves trees. Um, and so I was trying to think of, you know, as a science guy, I always want to think of a proof, like how do I prove that everybody loves trees? And so I came up with this thought experiment or I asked myself who would be the individual who would be least likely to love trees? And so I think all the lovers of great uh, literature and cinema will agree that that is the Grinch, because as we know, the Grinch's heart was two sizes too small. And so then I look for evidence to indicate how the Grinch feels about trees. And all the evidence that I found indicates that even the Grinch loves trees. Ipso facto, everybody loves trees. Case closed. That's science. So uh, when I'm talking about natural solutions like forests, I like to use this bathtub analogy. Uh, so you can think about the bathtub is Earth's atmosphere. The amount of water in the tub is the amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. And the water is already overtopping the tub and spilling into our planet bathroom. And so we need to solve this problem before there's too much damage done. And so there's kind of two things you can do. Uh, the first thing is to reduce the emissions, which is basically turning down until you turn off the faucet. So that is what we're doing with our other policy areas, carbon pricing, permitting reform, and building electrification and efficiency. Those are trying to reduce the emissions, turn down the faucet. And then the other thing you can do is open up the drain and let the water out. That is what our natural carbon sinks like healthy forests do, pulling that carbon out of the atmosphere, you know, taking the water out of the bathtub. So we're all getting at the same general problem of trying to stop the bathtub from overflowing into the bathroom, but it's kind of two different ways to do it with the faucet and with the drain. So this is our drain solution. So uh, forests are already doing a great service for us. The American forests uh, currently remove about 12% of US carbon pollution every year. Uh, we could potentially grow that number, almost double it, but we could get another about 10% or so of our emissions pulled out of the atmosphere by uh, doing deploying these forest solutions. And about half of that potential of additional forest solutions comes from reforestation, uh, where that is where we're planting trees where there used to be forests. Uh, so the good thing there is because there used to be forests there, there used to be trees, you know that the trees can potentially thrive on that same land. Uh, so I put together this chart from a really good paper that was published in 2018, looking at the potential of all these different categories of natural solutions in the United States, the potential carbon removal that they could achieve. And so you can see on the left side, all these green ones, those are kind of the forest related ones. Uh, the brown and yellow and black is kind of agriculture related and the blue one is wetlands. So you can see the really big ones on the left there. The biggest one is reforestation. Uh, and the biggest chunk of reforestation is civil pasture, which is something that I love. That is when you combine uh, basically pasture land and planting trees. 
Um, so it's got great benefits because a lot of this land that was converted into pasture a long time ago that used to be forest is in kind of the southeastern United States, which is also an area where we're seeing some really uh, dangerous extreme heat waves. And so the livestock could really benefit from some trees on their pasture land. So you both uh, help tackle global warming by planting these trees that pull more carbon out of the atmosphere. And you have these also these benefits of the livestock having the shade. So if it's if they got a heat wave, they can get some relief from the heat wave. Uh, the second uh, biggest chunk there is urban trees, or the chunk in the middle is urban trees. Uh, so there's actually a lot of potential for planting trees in urban areas to pull carbon out of the atmosphere. And then there's some uh, kind of a mishmash of other reforestation project potential there. And then the second biggest category is forest management. Uh, which kind of uh, accounts for a lot of different uh, uh, practices, doing things like letting trees grow bigger and older before you harvest them for wood products, uh, harvest them, harvesting them in a way that has less impact on the surrounding uh, trees and forests and soil so that they're able to continue storing lots of carbon. Uh, and also and where I am in California, doing things to lessen wildfires so that fewer trees burn up and release their carbon in the atmosphere during wildfires. Uh, so there's a lot of good potential in forest management, preserving existing forests. Uh, there's also alley cropping, which is where you have rows of crops and rows of trees between them, uh, things like that. So lots of good potential in those uh, natural forest solutions. And then uh, there's a lot of benefits from planting trees in cities and addressing uh, inequities there. So uh, we know in cities, uh, trees improve air quality by kind of uh, taking some of the pollution out of the air, and they also provide cooling uh, by doing some evaporation of water and also by providing shade. And so they are very important in cities, which in particular, uh, when there's a lot of extreme heat, they get particularly hot because there's a lot of concrete and asphalt and materials that kind of uh, absorb and radiate the heat into the surrounding air. And so if you're in a city during a heat wave, it's particularly hot. And so if we can break up that heat with some trees and some green spaces, that is really an important adaptation and resilience measure. So that raises the issue of tree equity, uh, which refers to the fact that communities of color in the United States have 33% less tree canopy than predominantly white neighborhoods and poor communities have 41% less tree canopy than wealthy neighborhoods. And so we've also got lots of research showing that mortality rates are lower in communities that plant more trees. And so this is a problem that really needs to be solved with more trees being planted in these uh, other communities, in these disadvantaged communities that are lacking trees and thus being particularly exposed to these climate change and other pollution effects. And so it's a good, solution both to get more trees planted and to address these inequities at the same time. So there is this great tool uh, that, that you can look at to see what the tree equity is in your community. It's called the treeequityscore.org. It is the website. Uh, so it tells you what your existing tree canopy looks like in your community, uh, how many, you know, how what the population density is of people, the income is, employment, uh, how hot it tends to be, uh, racial diversity, ages and health and things like that. And so basically if you go to this website, uh, basically greener means that you've got a better score, which means your community is doing better. Uh, yellower means you're doing worse. Generally you wanna be greener and closer to a score of 100 means that your community is doing well in this tree equity uh, question. So I would uh, encourage everybody 
uh, maybe think about what your community looks like and maybe write down your guess as to what your tree equity score might look like between zero and 100. And then after we're done here, go to treeequityscore.org and see what your score ends up looking like and if you were in the right ballpark with your guess. So here's what my community looks like in the Sacramento area of California. Um, so you can kind of see this is what the tree equity score website looks like. It gives you your overall score. Uh, my community is doing pretty well, got a 75, not too bad. Uh, so it gives all those statistics uh, down here and then it tells you at the bottom uh, what your current canopy cover is. So for my community, it's 12% of the surface is covered by tree canopy and what our goal is. And so we're shooting for 32%. So we're still pretty far off. We can still plant a lot more trees and get closer to that goal and address these issues. So check out uh, Tree Equity Score, great tool, and it'll give you a lot of uh, important information about your community and the potential benefits of planting more trees and where those trees would be best targeted. So uh, let's get to the grand finale here, which, you know, I'm a nerd. So of course my grand finale is in chart form. And so here we're looking at first, this is greenhouse gas emissions in the United States to date. Uh, starting in 2005, we were at about 6,600 million tons of CO2. And then our emissions have slowly gone down a little bit over time. Uh, here we are in 2022. And then this black dashed line across the middle is our Paris target, which is to cut our emissions halfway below that level by 2030. So this is where we're aiming for. Uh, so our emissions have gone down a little bit because we have had some success in replacing coal with cleaner electricity sources, uh, but it's been a little bit slow. At least we're making progress, it's just slow progress. So this purple here is roughly the current path that we're on. If we are not successful with clean energy permitting reform, we're going to be somewhere in the ballpark of 28% below 2005 levels by 2030, well short of our Paris goal, as you can see, much, much above this black dotted line that we're aiming for. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty here that I'm not showing, but that's kind of the ballpark. If we are a successful clean energy permitting reform, then we unlock all these potential emissions reductions from the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, getting all those solar panels and wind turbines connected to population centers with transmission lines. So then you get somewhere in the ballpark of 40% cuts by 2030. And now you're getting closer to your Paris target. But of course, we don't want to stop there. We also want to get a carbon price in place. And if you add a carbon price on top of permitting reform, then you would actually get roughly to meeting our Paris target of 50 to 52% emissions cuts by 2030. Great success there, but we've still got more on our agenda that we want to accomplish. So then if we add healthy forests, get some more trees planted, some reforestation, some urban trees, we can get another chunk of carbon pulled out of the atmosphere from that increase in trees and get to somewhere in the ballpark of 57% cuts. And then, you know, we do lots of education in building efficiency and electrification, get lots of people getting their heat pumps and their uh, induction stoves and whatnot. So now we can get potentially to somewhere around 60% emissions cuts by 2030 and really look, make our 50% our commitment look like child's play and blow it out of the water with an even bigger emissions cut by 2030. So it's a very ambitious target. Uh, this is what's going to happen if we manage to be totally successful in our entire policy agenda. 
Um, but of course, we at CCL like to be ambitious. And so that is what we're trying to do. Thank you, Dana, so much. Um, when you log your training in the action tracker, um, it not only helps you track your actions and it helps your, your chapter and state and regional leaders track that progress as well, but it also inspires action for other people. And believe it or not, it helps us raise money as an organization because it attracts potential supporters and donors when they see that our volunteers have taken action. So please, please, please log all your actions, log all the actions that you take, that your volunteers take in your chapters, et cetera. The simplest way to do that for tonight is to click on this link that I'm going to drop into the chat for you, and it will automatically log the training when you click it, and you will see some little stars at the bottom. You can log your training at the end of any training when you go to the training page and you see that green button that says log your training. Um, and Dana, if you want to show them the next little down arrow, that's what it looks like on interactive trainings, log your training. And then you can also do it through the action tracker. One more animation, Dana, for them. That's what it looks like. You just click on the chapter and volunteer development. One more, Dana, you start typing the first four letters or so of the training and it will, and you can just choose that there. So um, that on this very last slide that we have for you, um, you can join Dana in the nerd corner, cclusa.org forward slash nerd dash corner. You can email Dana. Have a great night, everybody. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.